you went under the wheels. How affected. Welcome to Under the Wheels. I'm Matthew. And I'm Gabe. And today we get revolutionary and talk about Judas and the Black Messiah. The, uh, what is this, the debut film of, um, of Shaka King. Yeah, it's Shaka King's feature film debut, who I think is really only done like bits and bobs of TV so far. Yeah, that's what it looks like from what I can see. Yeah, some screenwriting, some television, some short films, and then uh, handed over this big Warner Brothers project. Like, I'm very curious. It's weird. Like, I I don't know. I've got I've got a lot of questions. Um, I hope you have a lot of answers, but. I don't know. I mean, it's. I have a lot of questions more on the production side because I like. I remember when I first sort of heard about the movie, like based on the title, the subject, and just the looking at title, subject, director. I thought like, wow, okay, like this obvious. Like I've never heard of the Shaka King guy, but I'm betting, you know, this this story is something he's been wanting to tell for a very long time. It must be very personal to him, and now he's finally getting the chance to make it happen with like a decent budget and stuff. And then the more I look into it, it's like, no, he's just like a hired gun. <laughs> like this is like, this is one of those like you know I, I I bemoan like studio Frankenstein projects that are cobbled together from a bunch of stuff, um, where it's like you know this like the Lucas brothers tried to make this movie and then some other people tried to make this movie and then F. Gary Gray was going to direct at some point. And they somehow, like, combined all of the failed projects over the last, you know, eight years or so. And um, stuck it all in a binder, gave it to Shaka King. And we're like, all right, kid, here you go. And he's like, all right. And then made a really fucking great movie. So, (laughs) 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 that'd be good for him. Yeah, I mean, it's... um... Like, it brings into a lot of questions. But, I mean, Shaka King has a writing credit on this, so it's very possible that, like, he yeah, got He may have script. rewritten huge chunks of it to make it work. <laughs> yeah, because the Lucas <laughs> brothers are credited with story. And anytime you're credited with story, usually it that means, means like that... It was your idea, but we took it and, and changed everything about it. But it's still kind of your idea, so we have to give you credit so you don't sue us. Like, the Lucas brothers version actually follows Jesse Plemons' character. And they're like, no, maybe comedy. we should... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's a comedy about killing the leader of the Black Panthers. Like you know, nothing says funny like that. I mean, nothing says funny like the Lucas Brothers, who I, I don't think, think I've ever laughed or even chuckled at anything they've ever done. Who I don't even know who they are. They're a pair of comedians. I think they're twins. Um, but it's it's a lot of it's just like kind of stoner comedy. Like they both have these very um, monotone voices, and oh. they talk very slowly, like they're kind of stoned. Maybe they are stoned a lot of the time. I don't know. And they had like a TV show, The Lucas Brothers Moving Company, on Fox. Um, there was a cartoon that was also not funny. So yeah, it's like when I saw they were involved, it's like well, maybe, maybe they're so unfunny that they're actually really good dramatists or something. <laughs> Yeah, they're I remember them from Twenty Two Jump Street. Now that I now that I know what you're talking That's about. That's right, they are yeah. in Twenty Two Jump Street. Maybe they're trying to be like the Zucker brothers and like transition into uh 
into dark into darker dramatic places Wait, like the they did Zucker with Brothers? first night or last night or yeah the the guy who directed ghost uh with patrick swayze is um oh I mean, like, my god so the zucker brothers is in like zucker abraham zucker who did like police squad the naked gun airplane top secret like those zucker brothers correct oh lord they do yeah Wait, which one's doing serious stuff so Jerry Zucker directed Ghost. Um, like after, let's see here. So after directing Airplane, Top Secret, um, executive producing The Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad, he directed Ghost first night and then took about a six-year hiatus and directed Rat Race. What the hell? <laughs> and then, like, I think his brother... Um, Ended up directing his brother, like the, the crazy one, who did the American Carol, where John Voight dresses up as George Washington and yells at Michael Moore. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, that's the one who who did who did Scary Movie three and four and yeah. Basketball, my boss's daughter. Yeah, yeah. Back when Tara Reid was a thing. Oh God, how did like I feel bad for Terrence Stamp. Like my boss's daughter, starring Ashton Kutcher, Tara Reid, and Terrence Stamp. Like, well, God Terrence damn. Stamp will always have the limey, which is one of the greatest movies ever made. Right. So it, if he ever feels bad, he can just kind of rest his hat on that. It's so depressing. Like when when you hear that, like Christopher Plummer is in like a crappy movie, and it's just like, oh God, it's very depressing. Like I, Star Wars. Okay, that's fine. It's well, Star Christopher Wars. Plummer's like, not going to no be idea. in any movies anymore. No, he's not, except as a corpse. Anyway, what have you been watching lately? <laughs> well, it's been a while, actually. So It has been a long time. Um, it's not I rewatched... feel like a long time, hopefully, but it has been a long yeah, time. Yeah, it has been a while. I rewatched Tenet at home, right? Um, and it's great. I like it so much better now. <laughs> Now that I can hear what everyone's saying and I can follow what's going on, it's so You don't so have to turn good. on your car every 15 minutes. Oh, was, yeah. I don't have to turn on my car every 15 minutes. Tenet's very good. It's like a low shiny, um, which is a significant upgrade from, I think, I might have given it a straight witness or even a low witness originally. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's I, I'm upgrading it to low shiny. So um, what changed? <clears throat> It makes sense, and a lot of the stuff that felt like why are they leap like why are they leaving something this unintuitive for us to infer? They actually explain. I just couldn't hear them explain it. <laughs> like, does does anything specifically stand out? Like, there's a scene where after the seven forty seven heist, the protagonist meets Priya on a boat, and. Um, He's like, you know, we, we went to the center of the the Freeport and there wasn't any uranium, but we were attacked by two guys and they came out of this weird thing. And Priya's like, uh, did they, a weird thing, like, did they come out at the same time? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, well, th- they were the same person. One was going forward, one was going backward. And then John David Washington's like, what? And she's like, yeah, and that machine is called a turnstile. It um, allows you to invert the entropy of an object. And he's like, what? I thought we didn't have that technology. And it's, she's like, well, someone sent 
plans of it into the past for Sauter to find. I, I caught mm. absolutely none of that watching it in the theater. So when they start talking about turns, I didn't figure out what a turnstile was until the last act of the movie. <laughs> Wait, are you serious? Yeah, because I kept hearing oh, them wow. say turnstile, turnstile, turnstile. And I'm like, I haven't seen a sporting event this entire uh, fucking movie. <laughs> you know, they just keep the saying turnstile without turn any context. Of life. Yeah, they keep saying turnstile without any context. And then at the end of the movie, you know, they're showing like the inverted soldiers emerging. And I'm like, oh, the turnstile is the time travel device. Gotcha. But they just say mm-hmm. it straight up, like in the beginning or, you know, it's a long movie. So by beginning, I mean like 45 minutes into it. Um, <laughs> you know, a turnstile is a time travel machine, <laughs> basically. After spending like 15 minutes watching him do pull-ups. Yep. And like, I mean, um, the heists are all yeah. still good. You know, mm-hmm. Robert Pattinson is still awesome. Aaron Taylor Johnson is still annoying. <laughs> um, the ending makes more sense now. Like the the way it's edited is more coherent when you can watch it at home in the dark, yeah. very focused. You can hear him um, get into the car. Hmm? You can hear him get into the car. Like he doesn't <laughs> just come out of nowhere. He actually gets yeah, into the Yeah, you can car. actually see him get into the car. Mm-hmm. You can yeah. um Yeah, that like that was the one that really threw me off. It's like I couldn't see or hear him get into the car, so I thought he just teleported into it. Right. But yeah, watching it at home, you see him like very brief you can hear him get into the car. It's like, oh, yeah. okay. So he just he's just slick like that. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. Um no teleportation. No, <clears throat> no. Unfortunately he hasn't ascended into like anime god level. Yeah. Of, or like of the, the final yet. like the final battle, you know, Aaron Taylor Johnson's briefing still leaves a lot to be desired, but um the battle itself, I could tell what was happening this time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the movie much better. And then what they else? They destroy the thing in reverse. It goes in reverse and then gets destroyed again. It's like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, the hot sauce joke that Do- John David Washington makes, which is like the only character moment he has the entire movie I like. <laughs> I guess this is where my hot sauce is. Okay, that's fun. So other movies I watched. I watched My Friend Dahmer, which is it's lame man don't don't bother um because it's like it's it's like that tangential biopic sort of thing where it's like you know let's look at the life of someone who was near a famous person um although the story behind it's kind of interesting so jeffrey dahmer went to high school with this guy durf bacter or something like that he had like a bizarro name Mm -hmm. but he this guy went on to become a comic book artist and he wrote like he was in like you know indie comics for a long time and then uh like he was friends with Dahmer in high school so he wrote a he wrote and drew a graphic novel based on you know his high school years called my friend Dahmer which was then adapted into this movie um mm-hmm. and uh Alex Wolf the kid who gets possessed in fucking um uh, hereditary oh, yeah. is the yeah. comic book mm-hmm. artist guy and like it's eh, it like it, it's pretty boring <laughs> honestly it doesn't tell you anything interesting or insightful like the co- the kid who plays jeffrey dahmer his performance is like it alternates between really good and really hokey 
like he does some stuff really well but then like there's other stuff that just seems really campy like he always walks around with a weird hunch that's like i'm I'm pretty hmm. sure Jeffrey Dahmer stood up straight. Like, like, are you hunching to signal that he's a psychopath <laughs> or something? Like, I don't understand this. Um, like, so it's like the performances are generally good. Like, it's well made. It's just heavy on the tropes and cliches. It's very boring. It doesn't tell you anything interesting. And it's got like, I don't know. It's like all the bad, like real life person origin story movies. Like there's that there's that one movie of like young Obama and Michelle, and yeah. it's like, why, why? What is the point of making this? I don't care about young Obama and Michelle and their whirlwind romance when they were in college or grad school or whatever the fuck it was. Like, if you're gonna make a movie about Obama, make it about him as like president, and you know the decisions he had to make then and the secret information he had access to that we didn't know at the time, but we know now and, and, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But it's like, yeah, I don't need, I don't need a fucking origin story movie for a famous person. Right. Like, fuck that. So anyway, yeah. uh, my friend Dahmer, skip it. So, you know, there's that movie Nomadland that's coming out yes. pretty soon yeah. or it came out like Friday. Yeah. I think it comes out this Friday. Yeah, so I've been interested in um, the director, Chloe Zhao, because she's Chinese, you know, born in China, but, Mm -hmm. like, makes the most American movies imaginable. Like, her subjects are always, like, like the open Western plains, cowboys and Indians and stuff like that. Um, So I watched The Rider, which was the movie she made in 2018, and it's really good. It's, like, a low, shiny it's all non-actors. They're all playing characters loosely based on themselves. And the story is loosely based on kind of real shit that happened to the the main guy, uh, Brady Blackburn, or Brady Jandro is his real name, and uh, like other cowboys that live on the, the Pine Ridge Reservation up in, I think it's, I want to say it's, it's either one of the Dakotas or like Montana. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's one of the Dakotas. The same, the but same, thing. <laughs> same thing. Yeah. Also, Wyoming is we just real. lost. Um, <laughs> we just lost our like, our like a- any listeners who live in those areas. They're either like you lost us, or they're like witness me, witness <laughs> me, Montana. But anyway, yeah. But yeah, it's it's a really good movie, and it's very, I don't know, it hits really hard in the ways that movies starring like real people hit hard you know where it's like like obviously when they have to do more acting-y stuff they come off really stiff but there's a lot of moments where they're just not acting it's more just like hey remember this thing just think about that and then they do and you're like oh fuck but yeah it's a really good movie and then um last one i watched was uh lost in translation first time seeing it yeah, first time seeing it, you know, it's a, it's like a high witness, I'd say. I like the fact that it has no plot. It's pretty, <clears throat> it's just pretty light and easygoing, um, mm-hmm. but still, you know, engaging. There's a lot of cool moments and cool visuals and things like that. I think the only the thing that weirds me out is that, you know, Bill Murray is old and Scarlett Johansson is not. Um, especially then. Especially then, where Scarlett Johansson looks like a child. <laughs> in that movie because <laughs> i think she was like yeah. i think she's supposed to play a college grad but she was actually like 17 
Um, and that's weird. It's weird to have like a will they, won't they with that kind of a dynamic. It would be easier. It would be more palatable if it was just like a friendship. Um, right. Which it kind of is, but it kind of isn't. And it's like you're walking a line that's kind of uncomfortable. Um, so, yeah. But otherwise, yeah, it's good. I liked it. Yeah. I, have you seen anything else by Sofia Coppola? Um, I'm trying to think. Aside from I, The Godfather Part 3. You know, I haven't even seen that. I haven't either. I haven't seen anything from her. I think I've watched like parts of Lost in Translation, but just it, I, I never got engaged in it. Yeah, I don't think I've seen anything else from her. I've seen like a couple minutes of the bling ring maybe, and you know, it looks fine. I think she picks she picks subjects that aren't inherently interesting. Like the premises of her movies aren't eye-catching enough for me to be like, oh yeah, I'll, I totally want to watch this. Mm-hmm. Like if I ever watch another one of her movies, it's going to be because it's going to be based on reputation right? more than like what it's about, you know. I wonder sometimes if Lost in Translation was just lightning in a bottle that she's been trying to recapture over and over again. Just because um, a lot of other movies she makes, they're about, like like you said, not that interesting a subject. It doesn't really go anywhere. But so, but like Lost in Translation was so significant for so long that like it... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and Lost in Translation, I think, works because nothing really happens and it doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like if it ha- if it, if it had a plot, it probably would kind of stink. I think it. Yeah. What makes it interesting and what makes it like kind of relatively free of a lot of the cliches that we associate with those kinds of movies is the fact that nothing happens. Which is like it's weird. It's like the reverse of the Game of Thrones approach, where it's like we want to avoid all cliches, so we have to have the most random thing happen at all times. And what I what I mean by Game of Thrones approach is I mean the the Benioff and Weiss Game of Thrones approach, not necessarily the Martin approach. Whereas like the reverse of that is like well to avoid anything cliched happening happening nothing will happen, which works I actually. Have... That I mean that's kind of what Wong Kar Wai does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he, his movies are amazing. So yeah, I mean again they're like especially if it if it sort of reflects on the plot or it uses it to underscore the elements of the plot like I, I i haven't seen lost in translation so i can't comment and like the one one car y movie that i really like fallen angels i haven't seen in a while but like stuff happens you just don't realize that stuff is happening and the plot's moving forward because it moves forward at like almost a dreamlike way but i mean again if it helps support the themes of the movie then nothing happening can be a very significant tool if it's just your style of directing then it's it can yeah. be somewhat questionable. Well, so. it's like In the Mood for Love is like a high shiny in chrome, right? That movie is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I it's like nothing it, so. like nothing happens in it. And then mm-hmm. one thing happens and then there's like a series of epilogues where if that just demonstrate that after the one thing happened, nothing else happened. <laughs> right. And it's brilliant. I think knowing, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think knowing. I think I know the context of it. Let's see, is this the one? Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, I think I know like the context for it. And again, having not seen the movie, I can't comment. Um, but yeah, I I feel you. I'm I, I get the mood. I get it. It's not lost on me. It the mood is not lost in translation. Well, and again, I think also doesn't lost in translation. It operates on a lot of 
like on an almost insane level of subtlety throughout the movie. Like the fact that you're questioning, well, might they be romantic or might they just be friends? It's like, it's it, everything happens in such a restrained way, which I also, depending on the movie, I also like when that's a thing where it's like the restraint of showing any emotion is more interesting than the basic Hollywood version of like, I'm wearing Screaming my and crying until you get your trophy. Yeah, <laughs> that's exact. Do you say until you get your trophy? <laughs> I was thinking of like the 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 main female love interest's name as like the trophy, but yes, the other trophy, the the golden man, as one may call him. So, what have you been watching lately? Um, I've been watching a lot of shit, so it's unfortunate, but. Um, uh, luckily, there was a, a diamond in the rough. So um, I did watch The Little Things, which is just like, it, it's interesting. I don't know if you've read, did you read my review of it? Wait, was that your review? Yeah. Okay. For some reason, I thought it was Austin's review. I asked him to po- to proofread and post it and change the title if necessary. So it might come out under his name. Oh, that's why. Yeah, I read your review. And when you described the movie... Yeah, the you were describing the plot and spoiling it, and your spoilers yeah. didn't make any sense. So I read the Wikipedia <laughs> synopsis, and the Wikipedia synopsis also didn't make any sense. <laughs> so I figured, well, maybe the movie just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so the idea, I think like it's an interesting approach, because basically the idea is they give you an idea of who the serial killer might be, and then through a series of happenstances, the the guy who they think is the prime suspect dies. And then the movie just shifts gears, and instead of, you know, like, oh, well, who is the real serial killer? They leave it nebulous, and they focus on covering up the guy's death. So that's, that's how the movie... That's like, that happens in the last half hour of the movie. So... That's why it's kind of like, it's interesting, but it's not really executed really well. And I'm not sure if it's because in a movie like that, you need, you either need to know who the serial killer is, or you need to leave it ambiguous, but you can't then shift gears off of it. Do you know what I mean by that? Or should I expand a little bit more? I know what you mean by that. Like, if if you're going to leave it open-ended, then don't add this other wrinkle into the mix of like, these guys covering it up because then all of a sudden it's like, well, I just wasted a bunch of time. Yeah, because watching that's what these threw guys me for a loop. Reading it was like, like, and then they find out that there is a cover up of like one of the many people who was a victim of one or many serial killers was killed by spoilers Denzel Washington on accident, and they covered it up. And that's why he retired. And it's like, what the fuck does that have to do with anything, man? (laughs) Right. Like, what about everyone else who got killed? (laughs) Yeah, it just throws everything for a loop in the movie. Like, what's the, like, what's the significance of it? Like, why? It just, it's like, yeah, exactly. I'll probably cut me just fumbling my words. Which is, it's so strange because... Well, I think you fumbling your words is a pretty good synopsis of the movie. And again, this is a movie that was written in 1993. And this plot twist back in the 90s might have played a lot better than it does today when we have, you know, much more sophisticated uh, procedurals that deal with serial killers. So it, it's, it doesn't feel dated, 
But at the same time, the twist itself just feels lame, to say the least. So I I, I don't yeah. know, and like so that's why I was thinking because like it, everything leading up to it was kind of cliche, but mm. fine. It's like okay, this is this is a fine cliche kind of movie. But um, if you have you ever seen Taking Lives with Angelina Jolie? Is that the one where she pretends to get pregnant and then Ethan Hawke stabs her prego belly with scissors and she's like, ha, it was fake, and then she shoots him? Yes. Yes. <laughs> the advertising campaign is, it'll keep you guessing till the end of the movie and you'll still be wrong. That's what watching The Little Things felt like. It felt like watching Taking Lives, and I hated how Taking Lives ended. I thought it was so bad. <laughs> um, so then, because I hate myself, I decided to watch The Good Liar, because uh, I had been watching some of the Lord of the Rings stuff, and um, like Ian McKellen is just such an engaging actor. And I was curious about uh, The Good Liar. Did, did you see it by any chance? The Good Liar. Yeah. Hold on. Which one is... Helen Mirren, Ian McKellen. Oh, yeah. This is like... It's the movie where it's like, the twist will blow your mind. And I could have... I like, I, all I could think was like, is the twist that Helen Mirren is actually also a con artist and takes Ian McKellen in? <laughs> is that the twist that'll blow my mind? <laughs> huh? <laughs> the movie is fine. The movie is super predictable. It's the perfect example of a textbook screenplay. Like the way that they set everything up is very pedestrian. And when it comes, I think like looking back on it, I read a review from the, from like rogerebert.com and the guy reviewing it is like the main reasons behind the big twist, like the motivation doesn't make any sense, has no impact on anything else in the plot. It could have literally been anything else, and it still would have felt exactly the same. And that's that's true. Like, the motivation behind the big twist, which, yes, is exactly what you think it is. It's so bad because I would say the marketing team ruined it on the trailers, but really inside the movie, they have, like, the movie sticks with Ian McKellen's character so strongly and then they have this weird cutaway to like Helen Mirren like looking at a building and then they cut back to Ian McKellen and I'm like okay so they're like all of any any sort of like suspense or trying to hide the twist or anything like that is gone and they even have this like one did you have any interest in watching this movie nope good <laughs> the main like they they have that moment that they have in every single uh, con movie like this where someone's trying to con someone else but then they start getting emotional and like they have that sort of cliched moment but it doesn't feel it's it, like there's no resonance at all like Helen Mirren and Ian McKellen play well off of each other but like there was never a single moment in that movie where I was like oh yeah Ian McKellen is clearly falling for this like older woman who he gives medicine to no there's they have this like big groundbreaking like I don't think you should do it, uh, whatever Ian McKellen, your character's name is. And he's like, no, 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 I'm going to go through with it. I'm getting all my money. Um, and yeah, you know, it, it ends up turning up really badly for him. But um, I I feel like, because you, you saw Mr. Holmes, 
Yep. And you said it was okay. Um, yep. And so I was hoping that The Good Liar would be more in line with like, okay, maybe Bill Condon can direct a good movie instead of, okay, Bill Condon is just like, uh, just about as generic by the numbers as you can get. And I don't know if Mr. Holmes was just like a lucky accident that he stumbled into or not. But um, yeah, I, I haven't seen Mr. Holmes. I went off of your recommendation of like, okay, well, I'll give him a chance on The Good Liar because I like the cast. And the cast is fun, but the movie is is very forgettable. And then the last movie I watched was F for Fake. Have you seen F for Fake? No, I mean, I've heard about it. Okay. Um, you might come away with something different, but for me, F for Fake was a shiny in chrome. Hmm. It was a very interesting movie in the fact that it's a documentary that plays with what everyone's uh, conventions of documentary are. You know how everyone's always like, oh, I'm telling a fictional or, you know, I'm telling a, a recreation of a story in a movie. I'm not it's not a documentary. I'm not trying to ascertain the truth here. And like it's a movie all about art forgery. Um, but then the but then it's a documentary made by Orson Welles, who is in the as he describes in the movie a charlatan of his own i mean he he teases things at the beginning of citizen kane that keep you guessing and then even after explaining that the tease in the beginning does not have anything to do with the rest of the movie then puts one more shot in there to make you think oh no maybe it does so he's all about magic and sleight of hand and things like that and the movie itself feels like there's a lot of sleight of hand being played the editing is fantastic um, and the way that it warps the traditional conventions of a documentary, like both regular documentary where, you know, people are sitting down and being interviewed, still photography pl- with voiceover played over, um, reenactments, like all of that stuff, Orson Welles just takes it and just goes nuts with it. It's like, it, it's very, it's very refreshing and it's a very interesting story, even if most of it is fabricated. So um, I would, if you have not seen F for Fake, I totally recommend it. I think for a lot of people, your mileage will vary, but Orson Welles is fun to me. So, mm-hmm. so I, I, I liked it a lot. Nice. And that's it. All right. So Judas and the Black Messiah. What's it about? It is about exactly what I predicted it would be about on our Mank episode. <laughs> I nailed it on the head. I got to give myself credit. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering. I was wondering how accurate you felt. I felt it was. I was dead on. Like I, I, if I had said any more, I there was a chance I could have missed something. But everything I said was right on. <laughs> William O'Neill is a criminal who gets arrested at a very politically fraught time in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. And he's arrested for impersonating an FBI agent. So an FBI agent interrogates him and says, you know, look, we're going to lock you up for a long time because impersonating an FBI agent is a big deal. But if you infiltrate the Chicago Black Panthers and give us intelligence on their leader, Fred Hampton, we will kind of brush your sentence under the rug and, and not worry about it. So... William O'Neill joins the Black Panthers in Chicago out of self-interest and slowly begins to fall in love with their ideology and their leader and is eventually forced to betray him. 
and leads that leads to Fred Hampton's death, the famous you know police raid where he was killed in his sleep and his apartment was just filled with bullets. Um, obviously, a lot of stuff happens in between, where there's you know like various standoffs with the police and Fred Hampton forms the Rainbow Coalition with other um, ethnic gangs, including like uh, like a redneck gang and a Puerto Rican gang. And gives a lot of, like, really awesome speeches and goes mm-hmm. to jail and comes out of jail. And, you know, Bill O'Neill is constantly, like, getting into trouble and then trying to cover his ass. And they find out, like, how heavily the FBI is actually intertwined with the Black Panthers and how many high-ranking members of the Panthers are actually FBI agents. And, yeah, uh, at the end, you know, O'Neill betrays Fred Hampton is given keys to a gas station to run as his small business and eventually comes clean in the 1990s on PBS about his role and everything and um, then kills himself. How much of the story did you know beforehand? So I knew about Fred Hampton beforehand during all my conspiracy research that I've done over my life. Um, (laughs) Fred Hampton's assassination is like a big deal in the, maybe not in the broader conspiracy world, but at least in my conspiracy mind, because he's probably the biggest and clearest example of an American citizen who did nothing wrong, literally just spoke the wrong opinions, quote unquote, and was assassinated Mm -hmm. for it by the FBI. Obviously, you know, People have accused the FBI and the CIA of assassinating other political figures, but this is the only one that has like a direct link where the FBI basically said, yeah, we killed him. So what? Right. You know, MLK and uh, JFK and Malcolm X notwithstanding. Although Malcolm X was killed by Louis Farrakhan. So that's kind of a different issue. (laughs) He was. That's a fact. He was. Louis Farrakhan assembled the gunmen and ordered them to assassinate Malcolm X. He didn't personally pull the trigger, but he killed Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, so I've known about Fred Hampton for a long time because of that, because he was so blatantly assassinated by the U.S. government. And anytime I think of people who are like, well, you know, you can trust the law enforcement, my mind immediately goes to, uh, remember what they did to Fred Hampton? (laughs) (laughs) They, they literally just broke down the door to his apartment, shot up the place, and then and killed him. Just because. Because they could, right. you know? But yeah, I didn't know about, you know, his organization being infiltrated. I didn't know about William O'Neill. I didn't really know about what Fred Hampton did or what the Black Panthers were up to during that time. You know, I all I knew was really who he was as, like, like his title um, and that, you know, the Black Panthers were a kind of militaristic uh, black power organization that tried to create a, what's the term? Like a kind of a parallel society, you know, like a, a, a black society that existed outside of American society that that was, that was theirs and that they could regulate and control on their terms and not have to deal with the United States government, basically. Yeah, I had no idea about any of this, so I was like, I was just blown away by um, by the story of it all, like how it happened, all of the character dynamics, which obviously, you know, some liberties were taken. In, of course, in liberties always story. are. 
Yeah. Um, I think the thing that like is the most mind blowing to me is that Fred Hampton was 21. Yeah. And he was a William kid. O'Neill and was 17. 20. Or yeah, he was even younger. Yeah. And like just the idea of it, like it's a lot easier to digest what's happening in the movie because Daniel Kaluuya and uh, Lakeith Stanfield are clearly not those ages. So it makes it easier to, to watch and process, but it makes it even more effective when you see the crawl at the end and it's like he was only 21 and you're like, oh my God. I mean, if if you're not affected by that, I would just recommend you go back and look at pictures of yourself when you were 21 and think back to the things that you'd done. Mm-hmm. And um, to think that someone had such an effect in American culture and was being suppressed so much by the government and the Bureau and everything like that. When he was 21 years old, they thought he yeah. was that much of a threat when he was still becoming a child, the basically. person that he was trying to become. Yeah, well, it's like... I mean, anyone who's gone to college has seen, like, all those kids who are, like, really politically involved, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, there's, like, the blue-haired chicks who are, like, you know, Marxism now or whatever. And <laughs> there's, like, the like the douchebag country club kids who wear suits to all their classes and they're in, like, the Young Republicans <laughs> or whatever. Um, and they're, like, well, actually, if you die, it's your own fault. You know, that those kind of people they're just kids they don't know what they're doing they're they're just right they're, they're all jackasses um but it's like okay like what if the fbi just decided to kill them just because just because mm-hmm. they could because they were annoying like that would be tremendously fucked up and yeah that's the thing all like the people in the movie in real life were basically children but they're being played by adult actors so it doesn't seem like that but yeah when you read up on the real life story that's what's really shocking is that they were basically children and yeah i mean you know it kind of helps to have kaluuya and stanfield in there even though they're not the right age because they both you know they both have like this gravitas to them they bring a level of like seriousness and gravity and power to what they do that like if you had a 21 year old actor playing fred hampton you know you you would probably kind of just laugh at that um, right. like, what the fuck is this kid doing? But like when you watch Fred Hampton like tape of him in real life, he looks young, but he does have like that that presence, you know. Mm-hmm. And you almost need an older actor to kind of capture that. Yeah. And like for the record, Daniel Kaluuya does an amazing job in the movie. Mm-hmm. And like you said, he I I think I always think back to um, Steve McQueen talking about Daniel Kaluuya in widows and how there's the one scene the long shot the, the one where he's like scene right yeah yeah and it's just like man daniel kaluuya's come a long way from freaking like he's amazing in get out but he's come a long way from that role in my mind just from like being an everyman to being like now he's a serious act not that he wasn't before but i don't know there's there's something about him that he's able to to toe the line so well between because if you look at him in widows he's like you know the embodiment of evil and then if you look at him in this you would think that maybe there's like a hint of um of like sinisterness to him but instead he's you know just a very caring person he he's like really friendly he's very charismatic everything you need in a leader but he also portrays what could have been like a, a stereotype, like almost a, 
a stereotype leader type role of like, I'm just a leader. And he actually gives him, you know, personality and dimension to it. Um, some subtlety as well. So, and obviously some of that, a lot of that comes in through the writing, but also like his performance is, I think a lot more nuanced than just guy who gives speeches. The fact oh, that yeah. he's a guy who gives speeches and also um, husband at home who's struggling to try and like be the husband and dealing with all of the the weight and the pressure of everything that's happening to him. I think it's all very effective. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, yes, he gives speeches, but the speeches, I mean, the whole movie, the way that at least the two lead performances are done are very naturalistic. Mm-hmm. So like when he's giving a speech, it's not like a stage speech. It's like a mumblecore speech almost. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's true too. <clears throat> So it's got it's got a very different feeling than a speech in Shakespeare or in like an August Wilson play. Um, <laughs> Contrast but, uh, that with Chadwick Boseman cussing at God. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know, like obviously, like Martin Sheen kind of has an older style of acting, so the way he mm-hmm. acts is kind of that very measured composed old-fashioned hollywood way whereas you know kaluuya and stanfield both really become their characters and they both try to make the dialogue and their actions feel as real and natural as possible which means sometimes you can't understand what they're saying because they'll they'll mumble and grumble and like hiccup their words a little bit because they're like trying to make it you know, more natural and less polished. But I think that translates to like a lot of the big moments where Fred Hampton's giving a huge speech in front of a ton of people. It's not like this super crisp, polished acting movie speech or theater speech or whatever. It's like, a mm-hmm. because, you know, you're saying at the beginning of the movie when he talks, he just goes up and kind of wings it. Like, it feels yeah. like he's just going up and winging it. He's like making this up as he goes along. He's like, well, what do I want to say? And that is like, blah. Um... And, you know, obviously, Fred Hampton's very, like, boisterous and charismatic and very serious. And then Stanfield's character, William O'Neill, is, like, like constantly collapsing inward. Like, he's always just, like, his, his body language is always collapsing inward. But he's also, like, kind of, like, mumbling and grumbling even more so. Like, uh, Kaluuya talks really fast and stuff, almost like he's, he's got so much he needs to say. Um, at any moment that he's just like he's bursting with words you know he's like I have so much important shit I gotta say right now um, whereas Stanfield is like I can't say anything because I'll be found out or given away or I'll realize what a right. piece of shit I am so it's almost like <laughs> like he, he's almost like squeaking every word out that he has to say like he's like because uh, uh. he, he almost yeah. in his in his perfect world he wouldn't speak at all which I thought, yeah. I thought both perform both the lead performances were amazing. I really liked both of them. I know you don't like Jesse Plemons, and I also kind of don't like Jesse Plemons. But I thought this was one of Jesse Plemons's like <laughs> maybe one of his best performances I've ever seen. I was actually wondering when we were going to get to him. I was thinking about that as I was watching it, and with the news of the uh, the new Scorsese movie, yeah, that Plemons is starring in, I, I just started thinking about that. But yeah. I, I mean, I think everyone is really good in the movie. Um, like, I just think Martin Sheen's makeup is really bad. Yeah. Although he's so, like, wonderfully evil <laughs> in this I know, movie. I know. He's... I'm going to go on a brief tangent because, like, I just... 
I lo I love Martin Sheen. I don't I haven't done enough research to find out if there's anything really bad about him, but like you know, I read his stance on like, you know, on pro-choice pro-life and I'm like if everyone had a similar stance to him, the world would be so much easier to tolerate. <laughs> Because he's like a strict Roman Catholic, so he has that. But he's also like, my experiences have influenced how I how I view what I view, and here's my opinion on it. Um, and I'm just like, man, if he would be like, if, if I were still Roman Catholic, you'd be the kind of Roman Catholic I'd want to be. Anyway, I love Martin Sheen. I like him in everything that I've seen him in. He always brings a little bit of himself in every role. Mm -hmm. And like... Like like you said, it's it's amazing how the guy who played as Clown in Spawn can just be like, let me have another go at like a very evil person and can succeed so well in it yeah. after failing so miserably. I just like Martin Sheen because he looks like a turtle and um, <laughs> yeah, he does. He voiced, he was the, the narrator for those eyewitness videos. Well, he's also... Um, it, like ties to the departed he's also you know queened in the departed and he's just everything that he acts in except for maybe apocalypse now it just it seems so easy for him like um in the departed he you know he puts on the goofy you know south boston accent that he has but like while other actors in the movie either struggle with it like dicaprio or matt damon who overdoes it he just makes it look so easy and natural where it's like mm. oh yeah yeah that's just what I do. I feel like he's just like vastly underrated and it was nice seeing him in this movie. Um, even though he was only in it for like five minutes. And like I said, his makeup job was like, it's like atrocious. It's really bad to me. Like, I don't know what they were thinking, especially because everything else in the movie is so good. I was just like, you might as well have just slicked his hair back and not put any old man makeup on him. I could be alone on that. I, I just, I thought it was, I thought it was fine. It's it's no worse it's like, than Leo's makeup in J. Edgar. It, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it was it was better than that, but but still, but I agree with you. I like I like especially the two leads, like Lakeith Stanfield, so good that I forgot that he was playing. <laughs> that I forgot that it was Lakeith Stanfield. I just <laughs> thought he was the guy at a certain point. I was like, oh, that's what they mean by just like completely being a chameleon and being absorbed by the role. He's just the guy. He's just yeah, dude. That's why. That's why Stanfield's a boy. He's the best. Yeah, he is. He's he's awesome. I was like, man. But yes, he does mumble all of his <laughs> all of his <laughs> lines and like in like four of the movies I've seen him in, he just mumbles his lines. By the way, Stanfield, born in uh San Bernardino, grew up in Riverside, so hey. shout out Inland Empire. Uh what else? Oh, the I'm surprised that the movie that like any studio greenlit this or any studio picked it up to release it. Why? Because I feel like in, especially in like the climate of today, it would like, it, I feel like this would be one of those movies that Netflix would release, but not like a studio. Cause it, like you said, it does take such a strong stance on what it's saying. Mm -hmm. And I feel like studios would be, especially like the major studios would try and go away from taking such a strong anti, you know, anti-police stance on something like this, especially because the the events in the movie feel like they're still very real today yeah well a couple things one participant media is one of the production companies and they always make like politically driven movies so anything that they're involved in is gonna have a pretty strong stance even if it's like 
a very strong milk toast liberal stance. Like, I don't know. Like they did that one with uh, shit. What was it called? The Dark Waters, the Todd Haynes movie about um, uh, the Dupont chemical scandal. Yeah. Like, the political angle of that is the very bland, liberal, you know, pollution bad stance. <laughs> pollution bad, corporations bad type of thing. Like, no, nothing, you know, nothing too crazy. But they always have a very strong, very clear stance in their movies. So it doesn't surprise me that if they're involved, this movie will be similarly um, pointed in what it's trying to say. Mm-hmm. But also, I think that the political climate is extreme enough right now where you can have a movie like this and say something this brash and not have anyone really like shocked by it you know because a lot of the stuff that a lot of the themes that underlie it that are applicable to today have been in the news and in everyone's face for you know, six, seven years at this point. What are what are all the the, the buzzwords, right? You got like uh, the police stuff. You got the institutional mm-hmm. racism stuff. You have um, conspiracies involving the FBI and um, like domestic counterintelligence, right? Like, all that stuff has been in the air for a while. So for this movie to come out, I think it's just, like, it fits. It fits the time that we're in, I think. Yeah. No, it, it does. It, although I would I would argue that it, even if it came out five years ago, um, I think it still would have been relevant. It just feels... Because the story as a whole, it transcends just, like, you know, you know those, like, you know, this is the moment type movies, like... Yeah, it's not if about a watch time. This it, Twenty years from now, we're mm-hmm. still gonna probably come away and be like, "Man, that time period sucked." And if things haven't changed since then, we'll be like, "Man, this is still just as relevant today." Yeah, I mean that's the thing is it it does a really good job of being contemporary. Like it's not about a time and a place. It's about broader issues that are still playing out. And I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they do the they do the cliched Spike Lee thing where they use like historical footage and photos and stuff like that to like connect the movie to history and to right now, which like, I don't know who invented that, but I just associate it with Spike Lee because he does it all the time and he's been doing it for like 30 years at this point. Yeah. And so like even more so like the movie is plainly stating like, you know what, what's happening here applies to today. Something to think about, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making motions in front of the microphone that can't be seen, but it, it it's like the G Willikers <laughs> fist bump from, you know, like you would see in a 1950s sitcom. Oh, gee, Pa, the things I learned in that movie I can use in my life today. Let's make racism end in my small town. Next episode, racism still exists because reset to zero. Gee whiz, this movie sure is relevant to what's going on right now. I wonder how I can apply this to my own life. And I wonder how you can, too. Learning is half the battle, or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Um, like, th- there's a little bit of that at the very end, which, it works. Like, there's, it's there yeah, because it yeah. works, even if it is a little uh, hackneyed at this point. Yeah, yeah. As a, as, it's, it's one of those things that it's like, 
man, if the movie was, you know, my weekend with Marilyn or my week with Marilyn, it would just be, it would just fall completely flat. But because the rest of the movie works so well, um, and because the movie isn't just like, uh, just like, oh man, racism bad. It's like, no, this is, this is a much more nuanced movie than that. Mm -hmm. I think the statement works a lot better because like, like you said, there's that he, you know, he gets the, the white supremacists on his side Mm -hmm. and it's like, he goes to them and he appeals to them directly. He's like, look, we're not, I'm not here to, and that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, by the way, because it's just like, it's just such a real thing. It's like, look, here's the deal. Here's what's going on. We're being oppressed by people and yet they're causing infighting between us like yeah he's, he, he says like everything you're upset about we're upset about too and you're right to be upset yeah it's just a really good movie i wonder if they i wonder if participant media like made this because they also were involved with making green book and they're like oh we need to undo <laughs> i don't know man to- Part- i mean participant media is here to make money and movies that have like some kind of social message or whatever. They also did a light between oceans, which I don't I don't know what message that's supposed to have, but but all right, I guess. Yeah, I yeah, it's weird because I'm I'm looking at their the movies. I guess they had a, had a hand in producing, and it's like in 2018 when they did like Seven Days in a Ten B uh, or an and Ten. I don't know RGB and like Green Book on the basis of sex Roma. I'm like what. What what were they going for that year? Like, what's what's going on? And then you know you go down a little bit, and it's like, oh, they did the John Lewis uh, documentary. Okay, that's that makes sense. Now that they're doing Judas and the Black Messiah, and like, like you said, they have uh, a lot of movies that are like, look at this person who's significant in the civil rights struggle. That's yeah, crazy. I mean, all their movies I think oh, tend to be Bridget politicized Spies. in some way, or like highlighting some kind of topical issue or social ill. That needs to right. be addressed. Beast of No Nation. Yeah. Dude, that movie's so fucking good. Also, <laughs> a couple notes on the cast. Like, other than the stars who are all awesome, you got uh, you got Ashton Sanders from Moonlight as Jimmy Palmer. And um, Will Ray Howery, who was the, the, everyone's favorite character from Get Out, the TSA agent. He, oh yeah, he's like the super pimped out FBI agent in the bar, <laughs> who like mysteriously <laughs> vanishes. <laughs> it's like who's that guy? <laughs> hey, you appeared in another movie. There he is. Oh my god, yeah, I forgot about. By okay, by the way, that. So I have, I have, I have complex feelings about, um, about uh, William O'Neill. As far as in the movie, which I think is is good, I don't think they wanted it. That's how to it's be supposed evil. to be, like, I think. Yeah, because it's like, it's like, as you said, he gets more and more invested in the um, in the Black Panther Party, and he starts doing more and more to help. But then he also is constantly like afraid he's going to be caught as a snitch, and he has these chances to get, you know, for lack of a better term, to get out of the situation. But it almost always comes back to, all right, if you want to get out of the situation, then you're going to prison. I mean, the final time, it's like, okay, if you want to get out, we're just going to leak your name so that they can literally, like, burn your testicles off. But, like, prior to that, it's like, how, like, he starts off as a small criminal boosting cars and lying. And it's like, oh, he lies easily. 
but it's like how sympathetic do we want to be to his cause given the fact that he like you know fred hampton is willing to go to prison for what he believes in and at every turn will uh bill is looking to stay out of prison and, well that i think you you highlighted the key distinction right there is that fred hampton's willing to die for what he believes in and bill is not yeah and that's ultimately what sets them apart and what sets them against each other in the end. Yeah. And causes like one of the most, oh my God, the, that scene where the FBI raids the house is just, oh, so heartbreaking. It's so well done and so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, what's her name? Uh, Dominique Fishback does such a great job in that scene where it just holds on her face the entire time. And he's just out of focus in the back as they, as you know, they, shoot him all the way up it's just like oh my god and that was also probably a good idea to have him when he dies it's just out of focus so you can't Mm -hmm. really see anything that was a smart choice i mean speaking of smart choices uh shaka king does a hell of a job like a lot of his shot choices are interesting and they work really Mm -hmm. well he handles all the key moments really well and makes really clever decisions about where to direct your attention like the two i always think about are that the raid right where he's holding on dominique who plays fred's uh girlfriend slash fiance wife whatever Mm -hmm. baby mama (laughs) i didn't want to say it but yeah i mean she is she's pregnant with his child and it just holds on her face while out of focus in the background fred is being murdered um yeah and you can't see anything you You just see sort of out of focus blobs and flashes of light and noise Mm -hmm. and that's really smart i like that uh the other one that was really eye-catching was the um where fred's given the big speech and um you know lakeith stanfield is kind of guarding him and uh you got Roy Mitchell, Jesse Plemons' character in the audience. And, you know, there's this speech going on, and he's, like, managing your attention between the speech and between this yeah. stare down that Jesse Plemons and Lakeith Stanfield are having. And, like, that scene is really, like, energizing so and creepy and brilliant. And, yeah, he makes a lot of really good choices in terms of helping the audience understand what's happening and feel what's happening between two very different events going on at the same time. Yeah. There's, there's those two scenes. I actually like on a different note, another scene I like a lot is when uh, Hoover is talking to Jesse Plemons and he's like, what happens when your daughter brings home, you know, and, um, and he's just like trying to avoid answering the question and evade answering the question. And it's just like, a really tense scene about like from a guy who just he has to do his job but he really doesn't want to do his job in the way that they want him to do his job although as i was watching that scene um i I was i was afraid they'd have this moment where it's like jesse plemons goes home and he like crawls into bed and it pans over and like uh halle berry is playing his wife or something 
or something like that. <laughs> and like the reason he's choosing not to answer it is because he's like, oh yeah, of course my daughter's probably going to bring home a black guy because, you know, it's a mixie. So, so I was like, oh, I hope that they don't do something like that. Uh, I was getting flashbacks of Lincoln there. But um, <laughs> there was another, like, speaking of like, like Shaka King does a great job and also makes sure that he nails down all of the basics. Like, in a lot of scenes where he needs to show power, you know, they it's like, okay, we're going to make sure that Fred Hampton is clearly identifiable against a sea of faces, and also they're going to shoot it from a low angle to show superiority, to show power. Mm-hmm. Choice of when to use long takes, which is, it's almost like a cliche at this point, where it's like, oh, every movie has to have that one iconic long shot where it's like, you're going to see this interesting thing happening here and do that. But it's like, it, it it worked in this movie. I think it happens at the very beginning and then they don't really focus too much on it. The The shootout that happens in the Black Panther's headquarters, mm-hmm. um, also really good. Um, the and shootout then also at the that power one, station. Yeah. That was yeah. great. It, so it's, and, and I, I think there were, there was a couple of times where I, I think I might've, been focusing on something else and i got a couple of characters confused but they do a really good job that i was like oh wait no this is what's this is what's happening now this, mm-hmm. like uh when um oh the moment where um they they say that the one dude who got who got shot by the cops and died in the in the hospital and like they're telling that one guy and he's like what what are you talking about i just talked to him the other day and he was fine like what are we what are you talking like that scene is handled like phenomenally um going into the destroyed black panther headquarters and they're like it's all over man fred hampton's fred hampton's in jail and you have the kind of like the the schmaltzy moment where everyone in the community comes by and they're like hey guys we'll help you you guys want some food we'll help you rebuild this you know and it's like it it, it would normally be kind of like a cliche but Mm -hmm. you saw that they did the outreach early in the movie which they do a really good job of working that in like yes i'm giving a speech but i'm also giving free breakfast to the community who they don't have the money to have the free breakfast. So they were able to, to I'm not going to say sneak in, but they were able to reference a lot of the positive net good things that the Black Panther organization put forward while also acknowledging that, yes, they were perceived as violent. Um, you know, there's like the positive community aspect and then the we need to defend ourselves against. Yeah, the well, it's like, like the goal of the Black Panther Party in some sense at least in the near term, was to form, like, a parallel society, right? And mm-hmm. the movie, I think, does a good job of showing why the that kind of a parallel society was necessary, or at least why they believed right. it was necessary. Um, I also really like the opening scene where uh, Bill O'Neill tries to shake down uh, <laughs> a bar while pretending to be an FBI agent. Like, that was really well done. And the one... And the scene where... Um, the Black Panthers meet up with the Crowns at the Crown headquarters. Yeah. Yes. And like uh, the, the Crown leader is reading the letter that the FBI sent. And like he gets tripped up over the same words that the FBI got tripped up over. And he's like, what? That doesn't, that's not something any one of us would say, but, but whatever. Anyway, <laughs> you know, why did you say this? And then he's like, I didn't say it. He's like, <laughs> I guess (laughs) (laughs) it's a very cool very uh very good story also i like the fact that the badge 
that he uses comes back into play at the oh at yes the the bringing back the Show badge, badge is awesome so good i mean it's one of those things we could kind of see coming but still yeah. it was great yeah like even when it happened i still was like i was like wait a second and then he, he gives the badge and it's the other one. I'm like, oh my God. Either I thought at first it was just like he was found out and he was like, oh, I got to do this now so that I got to, you know, I got to protect myself mm-hmm. so that, you know, people don't burn off my testicles. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> they mentioned like three different times when someone gets their dick cut off. I was like, oh my God, dude. It yeah. sucks to be in this time. Or like the guy who um, like sacrificed his own man to preserve the fact that he was an FBI informant. I was like, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God. I I don't know, man. I I look, it's nice to go in and see a trailer for a movie, go in and watch the movie and just be like, yes, this everything I was hoping for from the trailer paid off and was better than I could have hoped. Like, <laughs> I was so happy for once. So Yeah. I mean, this movie is a definite uh, shiny in chrome for sure. Oh, 100%. I was going back and forth on it. I was like, well, I, there's a lot that I liked about it. But, but you know, like, I think that it's it's one of those movies that, like, I would want everyone to see. I mean, not everyone's going to like it. There's going to be people who are like, oh, this is a biased, you know, portrayal of the events and this and that. And it's like, but you know what, man? It's just so good. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, Why couldn't this like, come out last year? Everything is a biased portrayal of of events. Yeah, we're not you making know. a documentary here. Oh, documentaries aren't biased. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah, of course it's biased. Everything's biased. Everything has a point of view. You know, the the what matters is that the point of view in this movie is interesting, and it's mm-hmm. it makes for a damn good movie. It's engaging. It makes you want to look into it more, read more. It's a tragic tale, um, and the name is very fitting. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's a thrilling movie. Like it's it's yes. tense. Yeah, it's it's a good thriller. I mean, it's billed as a drama and it's written as a drama, but it feels like a thriller. You know? Yeah. So yeah, it like every and like if you know about the story, you know what's going to happen. But it's still like every right. scene is still tense and engaging, which mm-hmm. is what you want. Like. You want this. You want a movie like this to be thrilling and and fun to watch in a weird way. Like, I don't mean like, oh boy, I sure do love watching, uh, you know, poor people suffer. But like, it's it is a fun to watch movie. Like, it is gripping and entertaining. It's uh, what I think Shaka King said. He wanted to use the template of a movie like The Departed mm-hmm. as a jumping off point to tell this historical fact. And I'm like, that is a good. I mean, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, like, and it worked really well. The you know, there's the tense scene where, uh, where Bill O'Neill or I want to call him Bill O'Neill, where our <laughs> that is his name, right? Yeah, where yeah, William O'Neill. O'Neill has to he has to hotwire the car, and like that scene's really tense because you're like, oh my god, I do, I want to, you know, I don't want him to just get gunned down right in the beginning of the movie, like even though it's that cliche, like you got to prove, you got to prove to us that you're not a that you're not a freaking cop. And um, it's like, yeah, you hit all of these notes, but you're able to also spin a compelling narrative and like insert, you know, true events, dramatized true events, but true events into that system. Mm-hmm. So it's, it is really interesting using the narrative cliches and narrative functions of an undercover cop movie 
but not in the way of like in Serpico where it's just like this is the this is a uh, you know a, a blindly accurate portrayal of what's going on. It's like no, this is we we are taking liberties. We are going to have you know, we are going to hyper realize the world, but we're going to do it and still get our message across. Yeah. Anything else to say about Judas and the Black Messiah? I don't think so. I mean, it is a great fucking movie. Um, it is. The music's also great, too. Yeah. I mean, even though it came out in 2021, it is up for the 2020 Oscar season. Um, right. Because the eligibility window was extended by two months. Oh, I mean, good. Because they, cause they had nothing but crap come out in 2020. I know. So, I mean, I wouldn't... I. I Obviously, the only movies that I that came out in 2020 that I would place above this probably aren't going to get any awards attention. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that this gets its fair share. Yeah, it already seems like it is with the Golden Globes, at least. So well, that's it, a, it got uh, one Golden Globe nomination, and that's it. I mean, it's it's pretty important though. It's a pretty good one. It's not like you know. Yeah, it would have been better if it was like you know best drama, best director. But at, Best director. Does Golden Globe have best director? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess they would, huh? Yeah, yeah. Golden Globe has all the awards and times two because they times do two because they do comedy television. and drama. Oh yes. <laughs> Com- <laughs> it's like, wait, why is Daniel Kaluuya nominated for best supporting actor in a comedy or musical? What the hell? I remember when, what was it? Um, I think The Martian, Matt Damon was nominated, or the movie was nominated for like best comedy or musical, and people were like, what the fuck? The Golden like, Globes is the most baffling award show ever. Like, I mean, they're all kind of baffling, <laughs> but the Golden Globes is just absurd. Like, nothing also, they do ever makes any sense. They're also very happily, like, shameless in it, whereas other things are like, no, we're preserving the art. Like, the Golden Globes is like, we don't care about any pretenses. We're going to nominate The Tourist with Johnny Depp and Angelina Jolie as best movie. Stop us. The Golden Just, Globes are like, you, stop you know who we really love more than anything? James Corden. <laughs> He's up for an award for some reason. <laughs> Going back to the last episode. I just Best I find James Corden insufferable man. in everything he does. Oh man, I'm yeah. I the only thing that I've seen him in, I think, is the Into the Woods movie. And other than that, I think no, no. You know what? He was in he was in the Three Musketeers movie, the the one directed by uh, Paul W S Anderson, the Three D Musketeers. Oh boy, yeah, with freaking air airships. It's like. Man, this movie seems like it should be awesome, but unfortunately, it's directed by Paul W. S. Anderson, so it sucks. Uh, the father. What the hell is the father? Oh, it's Anthony. Yeah, Hopkins we had to uh, as an old man. I was gonna say we we couldn't uh, nominate um, Judas and the Black Messiah because we had to have you know the father with Anthony Hopkins playing himself and Nomadland with. Uh, you know, I, I haven't seen Nomadland, so I shouldn't say anything about that. Oh, Nomadland like, is the favorite the to win everything this year. Is it? Yep. I'm very curious to see what the Academy puts forward. Yeah. Just because. Oh, Tahar I'm... Rahim's up for an acting award. That's cool. Oh, nice. Um, so is Riz Ahmed. Yeah. 
Like I'm, I looked at the best actors and I was just like, yeah, I, uh, and I just kind of like. Well, no, I just like Tahar Rahim because he was in a prophet. He was in what? The a prophet that French movie that's like one of the greatest oh. movies ever made. He's the lead. <laughs> Are you looking at the list of of Golden Globes here? Like I am. The, the prom what like what the f- what are you guys even doing i don't like God why damn. would anything made by ryan murphy be nominated for anything how is how is anya taylor joy being nominated for emma really came out in 2020 what the hell i didn't even realize that <laughs> who else is nominated for best like like what what is the man Fuck, what, is, what even is this, dude? I don't even know. I don't even know. Regina King's nominated for Best Director. Why? <laughs> One Night in Miami is fine, but it's just like... like it, She just parks a camera in front of stuff and like uses basic shot, reverse shot. Like I don't see what's so cool about that. Yeah, because it's the Golden Globes, man. They're like, like, we need oh, to have Regina one King, black on thing. Rise. Which one is it going to be? And they just throw darts at a board. And it, it landed on One Night in Miami and missed all the other ones. It missed The Five there's Bloods. T- it missed uh, Judas and the there's, Black there's Messiah. It missed everything else. Posters. One is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. The other one is One Night in Miami. And then there's a bunch of little coasters. Like like the tiniest little pebbles that are like all of the actual good movies that came out. And they're just like, let's get a blind man to throw a dart. And whichever one it's in the proximity of will nominate. It's like, well, that's not very fair. Yeah, Mank has the most nominations of any movie, which again, like, why? That movie is so whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, because hashtag Citizen Kane. Get this. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross are nominated for original score for two different movies. And hey, our, our favorite movie of the year, The Midnight Sky, gets a nominee for Best Original Score. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, man. I mean, Tenet oh. is, f- like, far and away better than all those. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If Tenet doesn't win Best Score, it'll be, like, especially if it doesn't get nominated in the Academy Awards, it'll just be, like... If Tenet doesn't win Best be Score, it's just proof that the people who vote for these are deaf or they don't have ears or something. I wonder if James Newton Howard's just going to win for News of the World because no one saw The Midnight Sky and then Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross are going to be split on uh, Soul and Mank. If they win for Mank, I'll be I'll be kind of like... I'll be greatly yeah, no, disappointed. It, it's got to be Tenet. I think the worst one to win... News of the World. I, no, I don't think because James Newton Howard's always solid. But have you seen News of the World? Nope, I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt. I haven't seen it yet. I want to. It's my kind of movie. I want to do a. Uh, I want to see a deep fake of um, of Tom Hanks's face on Samwise Gamgee. What? <laughs> I was thinking about this last night. Um, I wanted to see a deep fake of because Samwise Gamgee in Lord of the Rings, he's like the everyman. And so, at first, I was like, oh, I, I want to see uh, what's his name, Jimmy Stewart. I want to see a deep fake of Jimmy Stewart's face on on scenes of. Lord of the Rings with Samwise Gamgee in it. Um, I don't want to see I was any like, well, deep fakes, man. Dude, I, have you seen that 30 for 30 Al Davis versus the NFL? 
No, but I enjoy like the YouTube deep fakes where they're like, look, this is us trying our best to like insert our favorite actors in movies. And it's like, it's just like a little less cringy because they're very careful about the movies they do. But like to take it on a legitimate level at, at its current rate that it's at now is just like, it's a little eye rolling. It's like, fine. For I don't YouTube think stuff. my, my psyche will ever recover from deep fake Al Davis. <laughs> that watch like, was um, terrifying. You want to see terrifying? Watch the uh, deep fake of Will Smith's face over Keanu Reeves in The Matrix, where they have, where they have to adjust the skin color. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> but like the part of me that like because they did a deep fake of um, Harrison Ford's face over uh, 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 what's his name um, in in Solo in the Solo movie. Oh my God, Alden Ehrenreich's face. And I was like, oh, this is weird. That's just it. Like, it's just weird. Like, everyone always complains about CGI face. Like, they did the one with uh, Jeff Bridges where they did a deep fake of yeah. young Jeff, Jeff Bridges' face in, in Tron Legacy. And I was like, I was thinking to myself, like, the technology for it doesn't look that different. Like, yes, Jeff Bridges, young Jeff Bridges' face in Tron Legacy isn't, like, amazing, but the deep fake over his face isn't that much more amazing. Maybe Jeff Bridges just has a really weird face when he was he young. Absolutely, has and a he weird kind face, of does. just in general. Yeah. So I mean, now he covers almost all of it up with a beard when he's in anything. But um, it's it's also weird to think that Tron Legacy and uh, what's it, uh, True Grit came out like within two years of each other, and you see like Jeff Bridges who can speak words clearly. Versus Jeff Bridges, who was mumbling all of his lines in a movie. Well, like, as soon as side by side, it's like right after Crazy Heart. He, every movie he's in, he's just got a mouthful of like marbles and sawdust when he talks. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I love True Grit, though. I think we, I think you talked about how how you like True Grit. I love the Coen True Grit's True fantastic. Grit but yeah, anyway, I digress. Uh, hopefully, this thing will be up for a lot. Hopefully, Judas and the Black Messiah will be up for a lot more Academy Awards. Hopefully they won't like get scared or get all like, oh, we gotta we gotta regress to the mean guys. We gotta we gotta have, you know, freaking I don't know, what's the most generic movie that could win possibly? Watch them just somehow give it to Spotlight again. <laughs> <laughs> like knowing the Academy, that's what they're gonna do. Like Dark Water, there's like, oh, we'll give it to Dark Water. Get freaking uh, Mark Ruffalo to come up and talk about how, you know, like cows are killing the environment or something. You can't drink milk, damn it. Everyone go see Judas and the Black Messiah by HBO Max so you can watch it or go see it in a theater if it's uh, if it's near you. It's 100 percent worth it. I mean, it's not worth getting COVID over, but it's it's worth it's definitely worth seeing, paying a ticket or buying HBO Max for. Yes. And then cancel after it's gone in a month. Yes. <laughs> Get the seven-day free trial, watch it, then uh, cancel it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if they're doing the seven-day free trial anymore, but um, but yeah, pretty it's much. worth a try. <laughs> Why is this blocked? You have to buy the full trial for this. God damn it. Um, still, I think like a monthly subscription is like $15, which is the basically the price of seeing it in the movie theater. So, you know, buy it for a month, watch... Judas and the Black Messiah, go to the TCM collection, watch Yojimbo and uh, and Solaris and a bunch of those other and F for movies. Fake. 
F for fake, yep. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, and Captain Blood, too. Uh, one of my personal favorites. So, Matt, where can people find us to get more of your TCM recommendations? Oh, God. Uh, where can they find us? Well, they can always find us at underthewheels.com. Um, you will find all of Gabe's very thorough reviews on movies he's seen recently that when we talk in the podcast have been out for a month. Um, but, uh, Gabe, you do a very good job of updating it um, pretty much as usually as often as you can, but it usually amounts to at least once a week with a, with a new movie that you've seen. They're always very interesting. They hit all of the necessary points you'd want them to hit in a review. Um, and if you have any questions, you can always reach out to us at uh, podcast at underthewheels.com. And you can, where can they hear the show? So the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. So if you if you prefer one over the other, over one that, over the one that you're listening to now, you can always switch it up. Make sure to leave a, a like or a, a good review. You know, spreading the word is always like the most helpful thing in terms of helping the podcast grow and improve. So. Yep. Um, we'd really appreciate that. Donate money to us as well, so we can um, go see terrible movies and not on our dime. I don't know how they <laughs> how you would do that because we don't have any like way of accepting donations. <laughs> but like, start liking us on Facebook and then we'll get a donation button eventually. That's true. I don't know. Or just just click our links a lot. Like click on the same article ten times, and hopefully we can get some ad revenue out of that. Send it to your family. You know, like, yeah. this is the review you have to listen to. You know, Nigerian Prince. Um, all those cliches. Don't worry, your parents will totally click on them. <laughs> um, let's see what. Oh, music by Mike. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, like I said, follow us on Facebook. Um, other than that, my name is Matthew. And I'm Gabe. And you've just been under the wheels. It's funny. Every time I would see the the name for Judas and the Black Messiah, I would always think of. Um, have you ever seen the the Fist of Jesus? No. Uh, so it's a Spanish short film about uh, Jesus brings Lazarus back from the dead, and in doing so, accidentally causes a zombie apocalypse. Um. So him and Judas team up to fight all the zombies with like fish because uh jesus can make fish multiply um and it's amazing it's so fucking good um but jesus like because it's in spanish so they it's it's jesus and judas um so every time i see judas and the black messiah i always think judas and the black messiah It sounds like the kind of movie that Peter Jackson would have produced like 30 years ago. Well, it, it definitely pays homage to like Peter Jackson and other like splatter horror filmmakers. <laughs> sounds amazing. It's totally amazing. Like, I definitely recommend watching Fist of Jesus. I think you can just find it on YouTube. Finished.